You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, it is, uh, it's Monday. All day long it's Monday, but it's a beautiful Monday and Boomer's on the board. Hey, buddy. Hey. How are you? Monday. I'm good. <laughs> it's yeah. beautiful. It is gorgeous. And yeah, I'm just feeling good. The crazy thing is we just had to turn on the air conditioning here in the studio. <laughs> you're over there wearing a hoodie sweatshirt. Know, it, we got the air conditioning running. It's always so hot in the studio. <laughs> it's all the, all the hot air. <laughs> it's that hot air. All the hot air. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have a good weekend? I did. Had yeah. a great weekend. Just chilling with the family and now... Uh, Ready for another week. And Had some Dad's crazy birthday, news. Boomer Daddy birthday. Yep. Boomer Daddy birthday. That's right. All right. Cool. Yeah, we're all set. All right. Uh, hey, we got plenty of stuff laid on for you right now. Uh, so at 3 o'clock today, Dale Jackson from WVNN is going to be calling in. We're going to opine together for a little bit about one section of the Triple Dipper that I'll tell you about here in a minute. So, yeah, 3 o'clock, Dale Jackson chiming in. And then 4 o'clock, I'm pretty excited about this. An old friend of mine, a guy named Cliff Sims. Some of y'all may know Cliff. But Cliff Sims was the original founder of Yellowhammer News, but Cliff went on to become one of Donald Trump's chief communications advisors in the White House. After he left the White House, he wrote a best-selling book about life in the White House, and he went from there to being the deputy director for the director of national intelligence. Yeah. So Cliff Sims, with those experiences, is going to come on and talk about balloons flying in from China. What would Trump have done? Did they ever know about it back in the day? I've got an actual official from the DNI coming on at 4 o'clock. You guys are going to want to stay tuned for that one. And then I got a triple dipper full of stuff, so hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, I'm calling this one Aged Out. Aged out. So right now, the prevailing thought is that we may well have the oldest presidential election in U.S. history as two octogenarians go up against each other. That's Trump and Biden. And then the other thought is that Bernie Sanders may jump in. He's 81 now. So I I look at this and go, hmm, is there a limit? Do, do Do we cap the ages? I'll talk about that, and I want to get y'all's thoughts on it, too. Number one of the Triple Dipper, aged out. Number two of the Triple Dipper, numbers don't lie. So I kept coming across stories this morning that had a theme to me. They were, they were a series of stories in which dollar signs went in certain directions. And you, if you chase the dollar signs, it just drew more questions. But the numbers don't lie. They tell you things. Like, oh, by the way, who in Alabama got money from Sam Bankman-Fried? Republicans and Democrats? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Number two on the Triple Dipper, numbers don't lie. And then number three on the Triple Dipper, you can only imagine, I'm calling it national insecurity. National insecurity because, I mean, this past weekend we shot down a balloon. A balloon. A balloon. There's been a lot of crowing and chest pumping, and I'm glad that an F-22 was able to fire a Sidewinder missile and take out a balloon. But what does that say about us, and what does it say about China, and what does it say about the current state of the U.S. in world affairs? We're going to talk about it. Number three, national insecurity. 
that kind of segues right into my comments to open the show today. Because I got to tell you, I mean, when you look at it, there comes a time in any negotiation where you have to assess whether the other parties in the negotiation are actually operating in good faith. I mean, you may have been there before, a situation where you're negotiating and the other party thinks they've got the leverage, so they refuse to work with you. Now, on the one hand, I've been in those positions as an attorney where an opposing counsel just simply lets you know he believes his position is strong enough, doesn't want to see any need to advise his client that negotiation is helpful. And I've seen those same attorneys suddenly flip the script real quick when that singular moment comes along that shifts the momentum. You know, that one moment when they they thought the evidence wouldn't come in or when they didn't realize that witness was going to say that and suddenly they want to negotiate again. The interesting thing is that lawyers are actually bound to convey all proposals for settlement to their clients, and yet some choose not to do so, which is maddening. It represents a measure of what the law calls bad faith. But it's not just lawyers. There's a claim that can be made under Alabama law against insurance companies. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. A lot of people haven't. It's known under the law as an actionable tort for an insurance company's intentional refusal to settle a direct claim. The case law dates back to 1981. It's generally referred to as a claim for, here's the, here's the title, bad faith failure to settle. It's more than just a breach of an insurance contract. In a breach of contract claim, you're asking that the court award damages that the contract says you should have been paid. But when you add bad faith to the lawsuit, you can find yourself eligible for an award of punitive damages designed to punish the insurance company for failing to pay a legitimate claim on a valid insurance policy without having any cognizable reason, cognizable reason not to do so, or for not properly investigating the claim before they denied it. So why am I telling you all this? I'm making the point, first of all, that good faith and bad faith, those are actual legal terms. When someone comes to the table in a negotiation, there must be a sense that while they may be opposed, that they can at least have arrived to the discussion with a good faith intent to see what can be done. Operating in bad faith is just the opposite. To say that someone or some company or some country, for that matter, has operated in bad faith, you're saying that the words were merely a sustained level of deception, that the bad faith actor is merely pretending to entertain someone else's concerns. Bad faith is hypocrisy. Bad faith is a breach of trust. Bad faith is about lies. And the only remedy for such bad faith is to call it out and deal with it for what it is. And that, my friends is where we are with China right now. So in an embarrassed fascination, we watched over the past several days as a Chinese balloon, and they admit it's theirs, loitered over sovereign U.S. territory. We are told now that it may not be the first time, but who knows. What we do know is that this one was real. This one was over sensitive U.S. military installations. This one was noted by the Pentagon to be maneuverable and carrying a payload, which translated means that somebody was driving it where they wanted it to go, and it was carrying equipment that was made for a special purpose. Now, the jury is still out as to what the actual purpose was. Was it for signals intelligence to gather up ground communications? Was it for meteorological data to test the wind drift and weather conditions firsthand in and around key sites in the U.S. mainland? Was it designed to test our own sensing devices and see if a slow-moving payload carrying airframe can slip through our military early early warning systems carrying something more sinister like a bomb or an EMP or a biological weapon? Was it a jamming device designed to provide the Chinese with an ability to jam key military and even civilian communication nodes for even the briefest amount of time to prevent early detection or response to a Chinese preemptive strike? We don't know. What we do know is that the Chinese are operating in bad faith. 
Nothing to see here, they say. What's the big deal, they ask. How dare you shoot down a non-threatening civilian-based system that was floating harmlessly over two-thirds of your country and half your U.S. nuclear capabilities? Bad faith indeed. Deception. Obfuscation. Pretending to be at the table while everyone knows they have evil intent. At the very least, the very, very least, we have a classic test of U.S. leadership and resolve. And to say that the results were an embarrassment for America on the world stage is an understatement. Just days after Congress initiated a committee designed to explore China's involvement in COVID. Just days after we signed a military deal with the Philippines for basing of U.S. military assets. Just days before Secretary of State Blinken was set to arrive in China for high-level discussions. Just days before Biden's State of the Union address, China committed the diplomatic and perhaps military version of sauntering in our back door uninvited and eating whatever they want to out of our refrigerator and then trying to deny it ever happened despite the fact that the food is all over their face. I'm not so naive as to believe for one second that China or any other country in the world, to include some of our adversaries and our allies, don't have hidden hidden agendas when they meet with the U.S. I'm sure that we do as well. That's the art of diplomacy. The negotiating of minefields of needs and positions and backdoor discussions to affect a positive outcome. But this, this is not that. This balloon trick by China is an affront. It is designed to do nothing but embarrass while they stand by with implacable poker faces and palms turned up in surprise as the American people express outrage. And then there's the response that Biden gave the world. I'm going to tell you right now, fecklessness is the backstory of the main story here. Would Trump have handled it differently? I believe so. Heck, I think my neighbor's cat would have handled it differently. I don't believe that Biden handled it with disdain or any bad faith on his part, but I do believe that Biden and therefore the United States was played for a sucker by Chinese con artists in what we might call the great balloon sting. And now the Chinese con men are in the back alley counting the money and laughing about the rubes at the White House that they got one over on. Bad faith. It's a thing. It's an actionable position under the law. And it's absolutely a description of the Chinese and the way they're treating the Biden administration. We have to see it for what it is. And we have to call it out. And that's a wrap for the right side way. I'm just going to tell you, folks, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It's like a whole big facepalm episode. I mean, you just look at it and go, for the love, what does it take to assert yourself with some position of strength? And that's not what's happened here. We'll dissect this in more detail. In fact, we'll dissect it with Cliff Sims at 4 o'clock, who used to work for the director of national intelligence and Trump himself. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. back. Bill Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Oh, look, Corinne Jean-Pierre is briefing the world after the military down the Chinese spy balloon. I, no te- hey. Oh, look, she's reading. She's reading her position because, <laughs> yeah, that's just the way she operates. Okay. Anyway, um, he had to call a minute ago. Boomer, what was the guy saying? Oh, he called in on Friday and was saying, um, you know, he called in Friday saying they're probably going to wait till it goes over 
you know, over a water uh, to shoot it down, you know, within 10 miles so that they had the, you know, 10 miles of land. So it'd still be in the continental U.S. So he's basically saying, told you. Yeah, he's saying I'd, I, he had it. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Text in. Tell me your name. I forgot your name. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just put you on the spot. I, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> all, all right. Good. It's all good. But you know, I thought we got sharp listeners, and that's the we key. We do. Hey, but I, it, he it was, was right. It was. I, so the thing got shot down over the weekend. We're going to spend time on this later, so I'm not going to do a whole bunch of on it right now. But I, I still look at this and go, "What the heck, man?" I mean, it traversed the entire continental United States from Alaska all the way to the Carolinas, and. It was maneuverable, meaning somebody's doing something somewhere steering that thing where they want it to go, and it's got a payload by admission of the uh, Pentagon briefing, which means it's carrying sensitive equipment of some type. The heck? I know. I mean, and I'm sure everybody saw all the different memes and all kinds of stuff out on social medias, and I mean, making fun of and... You yeah. know the redneck saying, "Hey, I got I got my gun out, ready for this thing to pass me." And yeah. then there was a giant Trump Air balloon. Beer, and said, How about this. He sends this over there. I mean, it was it was quite funny. Some it, of those things. It was funny, but in in the end, this thing ain't funny when you no. get down to it. I mean, this is it's it's like it should have been taken care of way before it. You was. think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. I look at it and go, okay. What, so if you did we know it was there? If we knew it was there, why did we just wait? And I, there are some that speculate that they knew it was there the entire time and weren't going to say anything, hoping nobody would notice. And then people began to notice when it was over Montana. And so public news, or it's not public, but, um, but news sources began to report this balloon, and that's when the story got out of hand, and they wow. had to deal with it. And then here's the other thing. I look at it and go, so you set up an F-22 to take it out with a Sidewinder missile, what are we not being told? Because, okay, it just seems to me that if you want to bring it down in a semi-controlled fashion where you can sort of gather up what's there, then why not poke a few holes in it using the 20-millimeter cannon on the front of the, uh, I mean, basically just, you know, machine gun that sucker, put holes in it and let it deflate as it goes down. But no, they blew it up (laughs) with a Sidewinder missile which costs as much as some people's houses. And doesn't that feel like a bit of overkill? I just. A little bit. A tad, maybe, sort of, yes. Yeah. I mean, did it. I mean, we don't even know. Did it destroy everything? I, I don't know. It, 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 well, you saw it coming down. So right. it was coming down like, like a deflated balloon. It was just kind mm-hmm. of trailing its way down. And there was something of weight that was helping it come down. Uh, one briefing uh, says that the debris field is about the equivalent of about. 1,500 yards by 1,500 yards wide in a big square full of just, you know, just trash and debris. And it landed in like 43 feet of water. So it's going to be recoverable, but mm. you still have to look at it and go, this is, this is how you do things? I mean, this was the best idea? This is all you got? So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. We, we, more to come, but I think, I think the bigger story right now is the Biden administration's reactions to it, or lack thereof, and the finger-pointing. And the weird statements, once again, by President Biden, things like, I told the military to shoot it down last Wednesday, <laughs> and they waited until Sunday, sir? Um, or times when, oh, I just, you know, I, was, I wanted to shoot it down, but the military gave me advice that it should wait. So you're not in charge? I mean, I, I just, I, I, anyway, I saw, I guess I am going to talk about it now. I saw um, <laughs> Congressman Ryan Zinke, former Navy SEAL, who had been the Secretary of the Interior during the Trump administration, has now returned to Congress where he had been just prior to that. 
Um, he's from Montana. And he made the statement on, the, I don't know, one of the Sunday shows uh, this past weekend. And he said um, basically that I think the name of it was Provincial County, I think is what it was. But he said this thing flew over Montana, where I'm from. He said it flew over Provincial County at one point, which has fewer people in the entire county than we have in Congress. I'm pretty sure they could have shot it down. And, and the question is not was it safe on the ground, but was it safer to let it continue gathering data and doing what it wanted to do as it flew? Um, we'll see. Uh, change of subject, boom shakalaka. Uh, we got another podcast from uh, Boomer McQueen coming out this week, I understand. Hey, we do on Wednesday. Yeah. That's going, right. Going live, booting up another one on Wednesday. Booting up another. You got a topic you're going to announce or you're going to let it be a surprise? Oh, let it be a surprise. Come on. <laughs> we got to gotta keep them on the toes. All It'll right. be good. For those, those that don't know, so uh, the, the right side multiverse uh, has continued to expand uh, with the latest edition being a brand new podcast by Boomer and his lovely bride, who we nicknamed McQueen. Uh, and so Boomer McQueen, The Right Life, yes. uh, comes out every Wednesday now. We, and, we are uh, having so much fun doing this. Y'all are a hoot. I mean, she's a hoot. I'm I'm just the guy that just follows behind. <laughs> uh, well, n- nonetheless, uh, she's she's a hoot and you are too. And uh, y'all are a hoot together. I know that. Um but yeah, uh, too, Wednesday. Too much fun. Too too funny sometimes too. Too funny. Um, but uh, but yeah, I can't wait. So edition. Uh, this will be edition number five. Edition number five. Five's already out. Yeah. Well, four's already out. Four's already out. Five, and possibly six. We'll see. We'll all, see. All of our stuff, by the way, is on our website. So at, yes. at Right Side Radio, we we got a lot going on. And by the way, we are a standalone business. So we are a syndicated radio show, meaning that we're not owned by the other stations that we're on. And we're on multiple stations across North Alabama. Um, but we, we own the content. We are a separate business, which also means, by the way, if you want to advertise on Right Side Radio, you got to contact us because we sell our own advertising. Uh, we have um, uh, advertising uh, inventory available right now in Huntsville Markets, Birmingham. You'll be heard across the entire northern part of the state if you have a, a, a business that uh, that needs more traction. Uh, we can certainly provide that. So, so yeah, we uh, we have a sales staff that will contact you. If you contact us, go to our website, send us a message on the contact tab, and we'll follow up from there. Uh, and we've had like multiple here in the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure what's happening, but all of a sudden everybody wants to advertise on Right Side. We love it. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. <laughs> All right, listen, we got a whole lot more to come. We get back, we're going to start number one of the Triple Dipper, calling it Aged Out. How old is too old to hold elected office? Hmm. We'll talk about it. Y'all stay tuned. Side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. Covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show. Goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi. Thrown in just for good measure. Um, hey, I t- Boomer, the text lines have blown up. I, on, I haven't even got to the text lines because I mean, we had so many calls. Pe- people are calling and <laughs> wanting to talk about the, the balloon. We got the text lines going about the balloon. And uh, and I'm going to talk about the, and I'm going to take all the calls you want later on in the show about the balloon. I got some other st- I got some other dippers we got to get into first, uh, and then coming up top of the hour, uh, we'll talk to Dale Jackson uh, and get his thoughts on this next topic we're about to go into. So let me let me say this though, if you want to text in or call, it's the same number eight three three six eight seven four 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 eight. That's eight three three six eight right. So here's my question for you. Should there be an age limit on running for elected office? Oh, I'm just making some people mad <laughs> right now. I mean, like some of y'all are out there going, no, I'm 79 years old. I still mow my own grass. What's the big deal? I could do my taxes by myself. You know what? I, I get it. I do. I've got family members in that age group, and they are sharp as a tack. I, I see it. I know one guy who's been in elected office for all of my life, actually, still in elected office, and he's in his 80s. I get it. But then I also look at it and go, and there's also some that aren't. They aren't cutting it. You know what's interesting is, um, Boomer, did you know that there is actually an age limit under Alabama law to be a judge? No, I did not know this. What, what age would you imagine that it could be? I'm just putting you on the spot. I mean, 79? 70. 70. 70. 70. Wow, which you know, some say that seventy is the new is is like the the uh, new sixty. I mean, I was actually, I mean, again, I thought it was seventy nine or even like in the eighties. Nope, you cannot now. If your if your term of office carries you, your current term of office takes you past seventy, you can continue to serve until you end that term, but you cannot run for reelection after the age of seventy. Wow. So, like, if you're sixty nine years old, you can run. It's a six year term, so you might be able to get through to your seventy five. But but most people though. Uh, they have to time it around the uh, mandatory age cap for judges in Alabama is 70. Wow. Uh, yeah. Whoa, so, I didn't so know that. okay, all y'all, all y'all out there in right side land, all you, <laughs> all you mad texters, some of you, and I want to know, do you think, like, for instance, we're looking right now at having the next presidential election be an octogenarian election. Can you imagine? Literally, where we've got the, the, the president of the United States, Biden, and the former president of the United States, Trump, and potentially even the independent candidate, Bernie Sanders, all at 80 years old there right, right about. Is that what we want? Is that what we need? Give me your thoughts on it. Here's the thought I have right here for you. Washington Examiner has a story about the State of the Union tomorrow night. So here's the headline. State of the Union 2023, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a study in contrast with Biden. That's what kicked this in for me. I began seeing these stories where it's like, man, all of a sudden they're starting to compare ages and talking about this out loud. Everybody thinks it. Everybody wonders. But when is old too old? I, I, I think there's going to wind up being a case-by-case study on this. But, I mean, if at certain ages and certain states you have to go retest for your driver's license, does that mean you should also still be an elected official? If there are certain age caps on being an elected official of some type in one state? Should it be for all of them? Um, And then federal. 
I mean, at what point do we start looking at people like Nancy Pelosi, who is approaching 80? She's almost 80. Or Chuck Grassley, who may be in his 90s before he finishes the term he's in. Or, for that matter, um, Dianne Feinstein, who doesn't know where she is sometimes, who is 89 years old, soon to be 90. At what point do we look at them and go, why are you still here? I mean, at what point do you not have grandkids you want to see? Or, I don't know, maybe enjoy the fruits of your years of labor? I don't know, just saying. I don't know, and, 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 I, and I don't have a good answer for it. I want to dialogue about this. So here's the piece from Washington Examiner. It says, less than a month after being sworn in, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Republican of Arkansas, will deliver the Republican response to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, allowing, here's the quote, allowing the party to showcase a young female leader juxtaposed with the first octogenarian president. So we're looking at the first 80-year-old president with one of the youngest female governors ever in the history of the United States. At 40, it says Sanders is half of Biden's age, and Republicans have not been shy about highlighting the difference. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, says she's the youngest governor in America, the first female governor in Arkansas history, and the first father-daughter governance uh, family in history. Um, and then, you know, it goes on to Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, is this is a bipartisan issue. Mitch McConnell, Boomer, look it up for me, see how old Mitch McConnell is, but I think he's pushing 80. Mitch McConnell, well, I didn't promise that we would have a Republican wave. Anyway, Mitch McConnell says, I'm excited. How old is he? Huh? 80. He's 80. February 20th, 1942. And yet he says, I'm excited for the nation to hear from Governor Sanders on Tuesday and witness a sharp contrast with this exhausted and failing administration. So there's the 80-year-old. There's the octogenarian calling out the octogenarian. Um, says, many Republicans see Sanders' time in the Trump White House as a positive sign and a sign of the party turning towards a new generation of leadership. I agree. Some might say the choice signals that Governor Sanders is a rising star one analyst said, I would argue she's already a star uh, because she spent time battling with, you know, the, the Jim Acostas of the world when she was in D.C. And did a good job, by the way. Heck of a lot better than Jen Psaki or the glass window shattering Karine Jean-Pierre. Um, and Sanders has taken office and gone straight into a push against wokeness. She, she issued one executive order banning the use of the term Latinx in state documents. Um, She's been resisting critical race theory. She's, you know, uh, pushing back on political correctness at every turn. And some say she's already a household name. I agree. The end of quote of this article is, Republicans are empowering a young, emerging executive leader to expand her political brand even further on the nation's big stage. Empowering a young, emerging executive leader. Some would say Katie Britt is going to be that for Alabama in some ways. Um, and we have some others in office here and there. But do we want, I mean, I, I don't know. Do we want to know whether or not someone's age is the factor? There are some who say that, I'll just be honest with you, there's plenty of articles out there saying that both Trump and Biden are not hitting the marks with their own base right now. Now, doesn't matter. Um, I, I think you'd have to be a, a, a pretty squishy independent to say, I'll just wait and see who wins the primary before I vote for, if, if, if Biden wins, Democrats are largely going to vote for Biden. If Trump wins the primary, Republicans are going to largely vote for Trump. But right now, I will say this. Newsmax came out with an article about a Washington Post-ABC News poll that just came out. Story here, dated yesterday. 
It says a Washington Post ABC News poll found that Democrats are more opposed to President Joe Biden than Republicans are to President Joe Trump. But not by, by Donald Trump, I'm sorry. Not by much. When asked, it says Trump edges out Biden at 48% to 44. <laughs> that's, that's not overwhelming. That's, you got all the name ID in the world. And by the way, name ID means something. Because those who don't know how to vote will vote for the name they recognize first on the ballot very often. So name ID is huge for both candidates. Both have served in the Oval Office, and neither one right now is above 50% in a field, by the way, where they are by themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're all by yourself and nobody to cho- no other choices to poll you against, and you can't get over 48%, I question it. When asked whether voters would support Biden's run for a second term, 31% cheer the idea. The same question was posed for Trump. Only 44% wish for Trump to be the nominee. 36% favor a second term for Biden. 42% want a second term for Trump. Only 18% of voters strongly approve of how Joe Biden is handling his presidency. All this to say, it's an uphill climb. But I look at it and go, okay, should we also be talking about their age. Do we need everything about this campaign to be about the 80-year-olds running against each other? Is that an issue? Joe from Athens has texted in and says, I don't think there should be age caps as much as I think there should be minimum age requirements. Well, there are minimum age requirements. You have to be, what, 35 to run for president? You have to be 30 to run for Congress? Um, you have to be 35 to run for the U.S. Senate? Uh, so, yeah, we got minimum ages. Absolutely. You don't want 19-year-olds running for Congress. You don't want 19-year-olds running for president. Um, I think Obama and John F. Kennedy were two of the youngest presidents to ever serve in the, uh, in the Oval Office. Uh, Jimmy from Moulton just texted in and says, DeSantis and Sanders 2024. I'm assuming he doesn't mean Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I think he means Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, that's, that's a, that would be a pair. Um, who else we got here? Uh, Bert from Owens Crossroads says, age limits, you bet. He says, perhaps a 70-year-old rule for judges in Bama is a good thing and would be a great idea for elected officials. On the flip side of ridiculous, he said, I was forced to retire from federal law enforcement at 57, and commercial airline pilots are required to quit flying for the airlines at 65. Both of the later examples at least require standards for proof of health. That's, that's, he's got a point. There are careers out there where ages have caps on them that send you to the house at some point. Um, oh, Jeff from Indiana just texted in and says, not the age of the candidate that matters, it's the intelligence of the voter. <laughs> By electing Joe Biden, the majority of the electorate is no longer intelligent enough to self-govern. I'll debate anybody on that, he says. It sounds imperialistic, but it's true. Oh, Jeff. Um, Tyler from Huntsville says age limit to run should be 65. That's, that's young, dude. So I, I look at that. I mean, so here I am. I'm in my late 50s. I'm thinking... I feel sharp as a tack. I worked out this morning. I worked out hard this morning, as a matter of fact. You know, I, I still work in my yard. I just, Whatever. Um, when does it, I don't know. Is it purely a case-by-case basis? But then when you got somebody like Biden, who you already question his cognitive abilities and his, and his, by the way, his leadership abilities, but his cognitive abilities, and he's 80 years old, you have to look at it and go, how much of that is exacerbated by the simple onset of age? Well, by the way, Trump is falling out of favor with the base again. Let me point this out. I got a story before I get into pure age issues. Here's another one, though, 
that seems to indicate that Trump's going to have an uphill climb. Of course, he, he always does. He had an uphill climb in 2016, and he won. Hotair.com has an article that came out yesterday that says that the Koch brothers, you know, K-O-C-H, Koch brothers, they're, they're, they're extremely influential in conservative policy and policy, politics. says the majority of American voters do not want a rematch of the 2020 presidential election. That's the Biden-Trump. Conservative billionaire Charles Koch is willing to act early and use his political network to try and stop Trump in the 2024 GOP presidential primary. This is interesting. Um, this, it's very unusual for special interests to throw money into a primary. That's because they, they, they'd much rather try and fight with a candidate who's their candidate as opposed to wasting money in a primary where they can't predict the outcome. The ones who do are like Club for Growth, and now apparently the Koch brothers, their network is called Americans for Prosperity. They released a memo this past Sunday saying that the best thing for the country would be to have a president in 2025 who, quote, represents a new chapter. Um, so what we're looking at here is the conservative money right now. Literally, we're hearing that the conservative money in the Koch network, who spent $69 million in 2022, and Club for Growth, who spends tens of millions of dollars, and several other big individual donors are all signaling opposition to Trump's third presidential campaign. And I guarantee you, if you looked at their internal memorandums, you'd also find concern about the fact that he'd be running at almost 80. I am out of time, Boomer. Uh, ask ask, uh, ask our, our caller if she can hold on during the break, all right? Because otherwise I won't be able to do her justice. Is that Lee? Yep, let's do that. Ask Lee if she'll hold on, and we'll go to a break right now. Come right back. I'm finishing this up, and then top of the hour, we're going to talk to Dale Jackson, get his thoughts on it. When is old too old? Is it purely case by case, or should we just cap it? Bill Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative and just plain right making it cool to be a conservative i'm going straight to the phones because i really appreciate the fact that lee from huntsville held on through the break so lee how are you today i am good good um i this uh topic is interesting because it's funny the older i get the younger that that looks (laughs) (laughs) if you know what i mean i do uh, I feel that way. I mean, I may be a granddad, but I like to think I'm the cool granddad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not there yet, but uh, not probably not too long anyway. Um, I wanted to say that I think in this situation, be it any political party, that above the average age of death in the U.S., which is like 77, 78 for males, I think, you're just pushing it because <laughs> it, you're talking about 
a, a, something that could be an, an a, you know, an unexpected natural death of a president is such an upheaval. I think mm. it includes, you know, you could set a date like that, and that is going to reduce the, well, depends on the how fit they are, depends on how, and that can be manipulated. I think if you have a hard and fast rule, at least it could be enforced in a case like, say, Biden, who seems to be desperately needing to be removed from office. But, you know. We have no age limit. No, we, we have we have no age limit. And and I don't know that there's even any mandatory requirements for testing, you know, like medical. T- I mean, I know they have to go through um, medical observation and they have to have the, the tested for fitness, but then we don't get to see the results. Now, now Trump published his and people said, oh, well, how do we know it's real? But the but the truth is, you know, Biden uh, took issue with people questioning whether he should have to go through a cognitive evaluation. And um, and yet he's got the nuclear code. So why would we care not care? Yes, and it also demonstrates that those are people around him who are um, covering for him, and that's a, that's a worrisome thought that there are people who are truly controlling the government that we didn't vote for, and that we don't understand or have a clear sight into what's really happening. Um, he has handlers, you know, and so um, and you got someone like Trump who can eat cheeseburgers and ketchup and steak and diet cokes <laughs> and seems to be like a vampire and just doing just fine at eighty or whatever, but. I still think that it's an unnecessary chance to take with the most powerful country in the world to have a leader that is so old. I just, I, and I hate to say that, like I said, the older I get, the younger that looks, but at the same time, you're taking a chance. So your, your premise or your, your thought a minute ago was that, um, uh, whatever the, uh, the average life expectancy is for a male or female should be applied to the term to be able to be elected for office. I think that would be wise, yes. So you're saying Biden is on borrowed time right now? Oh, I think we all know that, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, Lee. Good call. Thanks very much. Good to hear from you. Um, all right. Thanks. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at it and think, OK, I agree with her. I mean, as the, the older I get, the younger old seems. And um, and, I, and I look at it and think I I feel sharp. I mean, I'm on here every day trying to hold my own with people who call in and, you know, keeping track of the news cycles and getting up at four thirty in the morning and working on the show and working out and doing stuff. But, you know, I'm also not 80. So I don't know. And and so I mean the text lines are, are going. I mean I got I got a lot of people uh, texting in. Um, David from Huntsville, um, who's threatening to have my coffee poured out if I don't read his text. David, I don't I don't I don't yield to coercion such as that. But he does say, and since he's a friend, I'll read his text anyway. He says neither Biden nor Trump will be the nominee. Uh, Trump policies, but new commander. Trump. Uh, he, says, he says Pompeo and DeSantis in 2024. Interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, Jeremy from Huntsville uh, says wisdom is what makes getting old worth it. Cognitive capabilities with timely response should set the bar. I agree with that. I, I, I think that's the I think that's the thing. But at some point, though, are we just so far down the age road that we need to be talking about the age on top of it? We'll talk with Dale Jackson here in a minute. See what his thoughts are on it. I just I just got to thinking if anybody can give me a perspective, it'd be that old guy, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, hour number two, and I got to tell you, so we're on this topic right now. I called this section of the show Aged Out. Uh, when, when do we do we ever want to see politicians age out? Uh, should we just have an age and just say, listen, I don't care how fit you are when you reach this age, Go to the House. I mean, we do, under Alabama law, uh, say that judges cannot be elected past the age of 70. Um, I just got a text from Sid from Hartzell. Sid from Hartzell says, yes, there should be age limits and health reviews, uh, and the age limit should be 70 at the, age of the, at the end of the second term for president and at the end of the term limit if we ever have them. He said, this is coming from a 78-year-old who works out three times a week. Um, there, there you go. There's perspective. Well, listen, I just thought I'd get other perspectives, some color commentary, if you will, uh, from uh, Dale Jackson, uh, host of the Dale Jackson Show on 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN, also writes for Yellowhammer News, and he is on the phone right now. Dale Jackson, how you doing? Uh, I'm a little upset with you, uh, uh, Senator Williams. You're a little uh, upset with upset. me. Pray tell. I am. Pray tell. On why? Ronald. You do this on Ronald Reagan Day? This is the day you choose to have this conversation? Ronald Reagan Day? The Gipper? It just, a guy who couldn't be couldn't be president with how you're laying this out? How dare you? It sir? just goes to show, brother, that I am equal in my application of common sense. That's all there is to it. Man, how dare you? And I called you because um, you're old, so tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're about to age out as a talk show. Host, <laughs> so I, 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 I tend to agree with you, like, with the idea that if you're so old, what are you doing? Like, couldn't Joe Biden just take the millions of dollars he got from the Chinese and go do cocaine with his son? I mean, could he, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that enough for him? Does he need to do more? No, he's got to be president. You know, Donald Trump, same thing, except for the cocaine stuff. Can he just, like, go away? And, and do things? That'd be great and let new blood in there. I think that's a, a great idea. But at the same time, I, I reference guys like Reagan, and you look at guys like Shelby. You know, we, we can all talk about, oh, Richard Shelby, it was time for him to go and all this other stuff. Yeah, that's great, good stuff like that. But, you know, the reason why there's a billion buildings named after the guy is because the guy brought the money for a billion buildings. And, and you may not like that, and I, and I tend to not like it either, but I, I, I'm a realist here. Uh, with experience comes power. With power... Uh, comes the ability to get things done. And, you know, so there's two sides to this where we kind of push the experience out the door. Nobody wants the lawyer who has just two cases, right? They, they want the lawyer that has a long list of experience uh, and can go out there and, and prove that. So I, I think it goes both ways. I'd be better. I think our society would be a lot better if we made voters and politicians take, take cognitive tests and, uh, you know, 
literacy test. Just <laughs> functional literacy. And, and maybe both of them. maybe history yeah. tests while they're at it, and civics for that matter. But but I, sure, I I'll sure. be honest with you, I, I tend to agree. Now let me ask you this: under Alabama law, it is currently the law of this state that you cannot be elected to the bench to a judgeship uh, at, at past the age of seventy. So I don't know when this came into play. It's been in there longer than I ever served in the Senate. But but somewhere along the line, there's been an argument. I remember in recent years to please raise that because 70 is the new 60, some say. Um, I mean, your thoughts, if we cap the age limits on some places, why not cap them on all places? I, I think you were there when this passed. Come on. Stop it. I, I, yeah, you're old. Maybe you forgot. I'm just telling no. you. I, I, I think I think you were there when this passed. This has been a relative. This is a relatively recent thing. Or maybe you were there when they were having uh, the debate about raising or something. Because I know Roy Moore was involved in this conversation. There was a big conversation where Roy Moore uh, was a part of it. That and was the part that I recalled. Boomer, make sure that Dale Jackson never comes on my show again, by the way. <laughs> I, think, I think you might have been there. Uh, but, no, I, I, I think that there's probably something to this. Um, we should let these guys go off and, and do their own thing. But it's hard in elected office because I think you I think you might agree with this. There's a, not freedom of speech. I don't think that comes into play. But there is this idea that if people want to elect these people, they should be allowed to have them as an option. It's our own fault. There's no reason why 20 years ago, Richard Shelby couldn't have said, okay, uh, I've been successful. I'm going to go off and here's my heir apparent 20 years ago as opposed to doing it last election. There's no reason not to do that. But by him not doing that, we all benefited from it. But keep so, in mind, too, you, you, you remember the days of Strom Thurmond. He had to be led down to the floor. And, and, and granted, you're right. People voted for him and put him back in. But he also had a war chest that made it difficult for anyone else to get in there and campaign against the name of Strom Thurmond. He also had an unrepentant racist past. Well, he, he had all kinds of things going against him, but he still showed up, and he didn't even know where he was. They would have him. They would help him raise his hand to vote. I mean, and Barbara Feinstein right now does not even know where she is some days, and yet she's yeah. still holding one of the key positions in the U.S. Senate. It's only a hundred senators, and she's one of them. So, at what point do we not say, "Okay, you know what? Maybe your age is not the factor. Maybe maybe eighty for you is what sixty is for some." And and but maybe we should have the mandatory cognitive testing and physicals that are required to show that you can hold up to the job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. Like after sixty-five, make them take a test or something. But they would still honestly object. And maybe after thirty, do you think Cory Bush could pass a, a civic test? I don't think she could. <laughs> uh, but I would still say let's do that. But uh, are they going to like literally drum them out? for not being able to pass it. And then are they forbidden from holding office before, or do they get like a uh, a refresher course and hey. get an opportunity to come back in? I don't know the answer to those questions. That's why, as with term limits, it might be best just to leave it up to the people. Well, you know, you know, you know who actually would have to pass the law about age limits? The people who we're talking about. <laughs> good good yeah. luck. I mean, well, I mean, you do this. Like, you, you, they got on Ted Cruz yesterday because he – he suggested term limits while he's in his third term, right? And, and he's like, I'm not saying that it, that this is the worst thing ever, but people want this, so we should go forward with it. Uh, and when they do, I'll abide by those terms. I, I think that's past it and say 20 years from now, term limits kick in. Whatever. You, there are ways around this to where it doesn't affect the people in there right now. But you also know this, Senator. You, If you eliminate and push people out every two terms, you know who runs the place, right? The new guys and the bureaucrats. No, no, yes, 
staff. That's what I was going to say. Staff and bureaucrats. That's who runs the show. They, they become more powerful. Unelected people become more powerful. And, and that's another part of the problem, at least at this point. And maybe this isn't good, okay? Maybe this isn't good in the end. At this point, at least people are beholden to the people. Now, the people are kind of stupid, so that kind of makes them beholden to stupid things. But they at least are beholden to somebody, uh, and the bureaucrats and the staffers are not. Nameless staffers are going to be more powerful than anyone else. And you know this down in Montgomery. There were staffers down there. Uh, there were people in the in the uh, in the state house who had been there forever. Oh, there's who a had sort of like there, there's a, a deep state. Side. There's a deep state yeah. in Montgomery as much as there is in D.C. Wasn't um, there a guy when you were there who was like this this revered guy in the legislative resource office, and he was taking checks from the gamblers? Remember that? Oh my gosh, yes. That was what, the whole yeah. thing we found out during the bingo scandals was he was literally putting certain words into law that the the, the gambling uh, casino interests were paying him to put in there to help them in court later on. Yeah, right. but I, I get all that, and, and, I, and I don't disagree. I, I do think that there are times when the bureaucrats, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, they, 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 they do run the show. They are the, they, are the, they are the institutional knowledge that carries forward past the election dates. So right. your position, though, is age is not the issue. The voters should take charge of the, of the, of the, of the matter and vote who they want and then live with it thereafter, is what you're saying. And Dianne uh, Feinstein uh, being the classic uh, example. Well, yeah, but I also am for competency tests for voters and politicians. So I, for I, voters I, and politicians. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You can't go to the polls, present your picture ID, and take a quick IQ test before you're allowed to vote. Sure, or take it online beforehand. <laughs> and you have to pass it in order to go down there and do it. So if you're smart enough to get someone else to take it for you, hey, we'll take that. That's, that's good enough for me. Okay. If you're able to scan so it, it that way, you're good. At 3.15 p.m. on February the 6th, 2023, Dale Jackson called for infringing upon people's constitutional liberties. But okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. We love you, man. Appreciate you being on today. Thanks for giving us some true color commentary. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. See you, bud. <laughs> No, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Never, never a dull moment when Sergeant Jackson comes on here and wants to tell the colonel <laughs> what's what. Uh, yeah, a lot of folks don't realize uh, Dale's a veteran himself. Uh, got got hard stripes on his sleeve. He was a he was a Sergeant E five, if I'm not mistaken. All right, Boomer, take me to the break, brother, and then we'll come right back and wrap this sucker up. Uh, I'm going to go to the next segment. I believe numbers don't lie, or who knows? I might just jump into that China balloon because that's what that's what everybody wants to talk about. Balloon tricks. We'll see. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. Got some great texts on this. So, uh, yeah, Boyd from Joppa, 
uh, in regards to uh, Dale Jackson's comments that, you know, you get the experience in office, and he says experience isn't everything. Ron DeSantis is a much better governor than Kay Ivey, despite having decades less experience. That's, that's an interesting perspective. There you go. Uh, what else we got here real quickly? Um, Tom from Tanner says, uh, says uh, had an uncle who worked until two weeks before he died at 96 years old on the board of directors for a major bank chain, sharp as attack till the day he died. Uh, part of what kept him alive and active so long was working every day. So who are we to determine when we force somebody to retire? As far as testing, who performs the testing and to what standard? Teenagers have the quickest cognitive, but they don't have the experience. So how do you test that? Maybe the old guy doesn't respond as quick, but the decision is likely to be correct. That was an excellent text. That was a, that was an excellent text. Did we get uh, Sparky back on the line? Yeah, Sparky from Harvest. How are you doing, brother? Hey, good show, Phil and Boomer. Thanks, man. Uh, I, I, two things. On the tail end of the uh, cognitive test and term limits for politicians, I, I would add routine no-notice uh, urinalysis. Uh, military service members have to do it all the time. And believe me, uh, somebody like Nancy Pelosi has got a is going to pee, pee hotter than a drunk cheerleader. So, uh, I also, um, I also wanted to, I want, I wanted you to note. You notice the agencies that are begrudgingly having to consider hiring people back that they fired for, for uh, not taking the, the COVID jab yeah. for for religious reasons. Yeah. You notice there's zero sense of apology, zero sense of accountability, zero sense of. Uh, Oh, we're going to pay you back pay, and, and, I, and it just—it just struck me why. It, here's why: if they—if they show any culpability, accountability, or or penitence for having fired these people because their religious convictions uh, didn't want them to take the jab, then they would be responsible financially and morally for ruining their lives, costing them months and months or even years of income. It's—it's—it's a. It's a it's a culpability thing. They absolutely, and you're a lawyer, you understand this better than me. Yep. It's the only way they can even consider hiring these people back. It's, well, you got to apply for a job, and if there's one open, but other than that, screw you, we're not going to take responsibility for messing up your life. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, kind of chasing that thread for a second, I saw this morning that uh, one young Coast Guardsman uh, just said that he had to repay his uh, signing bonus because he was terminated early before his contract expired. He didn't want to leave. They made him leave. And it wasn't for reasons that he signed up for, uh, and they didn't give him the religious accommodation he had asked for, and they made him pay back his enlistment bonus. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's insane. It's it's messed up. All right. So, what's your final word though on the aging thing, man? So, uh, is it is it is it testing? Is it age? Is it both? Or you just want to have them all piss in a cup and see if they piss hot? All, all of the above. Term <laughs> limits for sure. Term limit. Term limits for sure. Uh, Cognitive tests when uh, when uh, a, a majority of the people in your own party uh, want you to have it. Uh, never mind, people in the other party are going to vote constantly for it, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and and then yeah, no notice your analysis. If it's good enough for the service members and many people in the federal workforce to to be subject to no notice your analysis, I'd say these people at the top who are heady with power, with power comes perks and money and millions of dollars in insider trading well with that comes drugs uh, and, and i and i 
I think I stand firmly by that. I believe that firmly. You might also find out that they're on certain things that are helping them to stay functional. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> Getting a little booster shot once in a while. Keep things moving. Um, all right, Sparky, appreciate you, man. Great call. Thanks for calling back. Um, all right, I'll call more often. All right, good. <laughs> good. Uh, oh, okay. So I, I tell you what, I think, I, think that the, um, I think that the way this whole thing has sort of fleshed out, this, this whole topic, is, is that it's a case-by-case basis. And I, I, that almost feels like a cop-out to say it. I, I'm, I'm in a firm belief. I don't see a reason why you can't say at a certain age you have to have, you have, to have testing of, on record showing that you are still fully capable of managing forward. I don't know what that age would be, 75, 78. Uh, all I know is I can watch President Biden right now and recognize difficulties with his ability to function at times, um, saying things that are embarrassing, recognizing that he doesn't recognize where he is at times, or or that he seems to struggle with the idea of what's next and who was I supposed to talk to and did I get my note card in time? And then he'll say something like it means something and everybody knows it doesn't. Um, right now we're looking at two in Congress. I got an article here from Business Insider. It says the, the current state of Congress is that we have um, an unprecedented spike in age. It is the third oldest Congress in history, according to another article I've got here from Advocate Channel. So I'm just saying, we're looking at Congress is now 12 years on the average older than it was just uh, 30 years ago. And right now the average age is, is 63, 64. Uh, 57 in the House, which doesn't, those don't feel old. But we also have a number of people like Dianne Feinstein, um, who is 89. We have, uh, we have uh, Grace Napolitano, who is 86. And then we have some young'uns. Uh, we have a Florida Democrat in the House, uh, Alejandro, or Maxwell Alejandro Frost, who's 25 in the Congress. And we have uh, John Ossoff from uh, Georgia, who's 35. Katie Brett, I think, I believe is 39. Um, and I have no doubts about her capabilities. So I'm not worried about that. They all met the minimum threshold, but I look at it and go, hmm, when I see the fact that our party is not able to put someone in a primary because the 80-year-old is going to basically drive the train and has a billion dollars to put to it, I look at it and go, when do we ever get fresh blood? I don't know. Um, point here in this article from Business Insider, half the country, this article came out a few months ago, half the country, half the United States is below the age of 38, but only 5% of lawmakers can say the same. That's interesting. And we're looking at Business Insider also has a piece they call the three-way game of geriatric chicken with Trump, Biden, and Bernie all running as 80-year-olds. I'm just telling you folks. All right, we're going to switch gears when we get back. Y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. We'll be right back.
Hey, all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. We are back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Covering down on some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Um, hey, listen, I'm going to jump in here to a short segment, a part, of the, part two of the Triple Dipper. I'm calling this Numbers Don't Lie. So here, here's the deal. I, 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 as I, you know, sometimes I've told you before, I'm resourcing the show early in the morning, and, and I know exactly where I'm headed. Like, I've got a segment uh, tomorrow that I knew I was going to—I'm already planning on it. I've got a segment that we're doing here at 4 o'clock on the balloon that I knew I was going to do when I came into the show. Other times, though, I am working the dipper, and I'm having to go through the news and figure out, do I see a trend, something that intrigues me, something I think my audience is going to like? And every once in a while, it becomes a theme more than a, sh- a storyline. Like this one, I kept finding stories that talked about things related to numbers. And so I call this one Numbers Don't Lie. There's there's several stories out there that were number-based stories that I thought were significant. They They were stories about where dollar signs went or how many people said this or did that. And, and so, yeah, that's where, that's, that's where we're going right now. Just for a few minutes here, I got a, a series of what I would call interesting stories that I just think, you know, numbers don't lie. And it's interesting to see where the dollar signs went. And here's the first one. So you guys, I, I, have, I have, I don't know if I just purposely avoided it, but I haven't done any segments at all on this Sam Bankman-Fried um, FTX story. I mean, to me, it's the goofiest story. I, everybody who lost money on that should just be personally ashamed. I, I get it. Maybe your maybe your money manager is the one who put you up to it. Maybe maybe somebody was in charge of your finances and they sent it over to FTX to be hidden in cryptocurrency and shifted around the globe. I don't know. But then again, how many people were duped by this kid who needed a haircut wearing a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, mealy mouth and everything, and people were falling all over themselves for him? Why? Billions, billions, billions are said to be gone now, just ghosted. Well, I'll tell you where a lot of it went. A lot of it went to politicians. A lot of politicians were the beneficiaries of the fraud that is FTX. The interesting thing is we actually have some folks in Alabama who are benefiting. Number one, I noted last night and I sent you know, a text over to uh, Jeff Poor, who is the executive editor for 1819, and he said, yeah, you're right. The State Democratic Executive Committee of Alabama received $10,000 from FTX. How about that? So there you go. So this was not just to support political campaigns. This was money helping to support party infrastructure. $10,000 contribution. Big? Well, in the grand scheme of things, it might not be big. But since the State Democratic Executive Committee of Alabama is almost bankrupt itself, I'm sure $10,000 felt like a lot. But here's the other thing that I thought was interesting. He has largely given to Democrats. 
And yet we find now that Republican Congressman Robert Aderholt, Republican Congressman Gary Palmer, and Republican U.S. Senator Katie Britt all got campaign donations from FTX. That's extremely interesting. Now, apparently there are 196 different congressmen who took, according to the article here from 1819 News, dated uh, today, there are 196 congressmen who took money from the now-bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange. Since FTX's collapse scandal, it says many have been trying to offload illicit contributions by returning the funds, and several campaign managers have expressed frustration not knowing how to give the money back. I will say this, kudos to Katie Britt's office, because she didn't wait to be told where to give it back. She donated it to a charity, (laughs) which you're allowed to do. Uh, So, yeah, you, you are allowed to donate campaign funds to a charitable 501c3 as designated by the IRS. And she didn't say which one, but apparently uh, Katie Britt's office says the money has now been donated to charity. Uh, Adderholt and Palmer's office, and I trust them to to do the right thing, but Adderholt and Palmer's office uh, have not responded uh, to inquiries about what they have done with the funds or are doing with the funds or will do with the funds or whatever. There's your first, there's your first number. I I just, I just, I just look at the thing. How did how did it how did it come to be that a guy who looks like a, a, a prepubescent misfit was suddenly able to just spend billions of dollars and people just bought it? I mean, there were there were there were extremely wealthy, influential, highbrow people who lost money with Sam Bankman Fried. I, I do not get it. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not looking for everybody to be spit and polished and have the high and tight haircut and, you know, and be of a certain age or anything else, but at least look competent. I mean, the guy literally looked like every single day he rolled out of bed at college and went to the next interview. He looks just like the kid who's 19 years old. I mean, I did this. Who's 19 years old, who unfortunately has a class early in the morning and literally just rolls out of bed. And, and goes in looking like he's hangover and goes to class. That's what he looks like. And he had billions of dollars to just throw at politicians. Here's the next one. I have an issue with government subsidization of the markets, not the least of which are all the green energy options that are out there in the world that are being pushed on us. I mean, like, we are literally having government shove green energy down our throats. Not a little bit, a lot. And there are times when what we're finding now is that the government is truly manipulating the market. Now, you can look at things like wind farms and solar farms, and they largely could not exist without government underwriting it or subsidizing their efforts. And that's true. You take a look. You, you, I, I, I tell you right now, the industry, I, I'll never forget, I've said it on the show at least two or three times, Congressman Barry Moore, when he and I both served in the state legislature, and I had a bill that was dealing with wind farms who were trying to build in my district and do so very irresponsibly, um, I had a bill. And we had a public hearing on the bill, and Congressman Moore, then State Representative Moore, he was on the committee that I was in front of. They hired six lobbying firms trying to kill my bill. They had Pioneer Green was the name of the company. And Pioneer Green was standing there, and after I had made my presentation to the House committee, Representative Moore looked over at the representative and said, I want to ask you a question, Mr. Representative from Pioneer Green. And he said, yes, uh, yes, Representative. And he said, 
If you didn't have government dollars, would you be able to build this wind farm? And he said, well, a representative, I think that, no, 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 I asked you a question. If you did not have government dollars, could you build this wind farm? And to his credit, the guy said, no. And that's what we got right now with this article from CNBC. Tesla, Elon Musk. I've been sort of, you know, fond of Elon Musk's presence when it comes to Twitter of late. But Elon Musk, I mean, he's a capitalist. You know what? You throw the money out there. It's not illegal. He's going to do it. But guess what? Tesla has now raised prices on its Model Y, which is one of its, you know, one of its vehicles. Um, they raised it. Why? Because the government is giving a huge tax credit to buyers based upon the Inflation Reduction Act's um, uh, language. A $7,500 electric vehicle tax credit in the Inflation Reduction Act goes into effect in March. So what does Tesla do? It anticipates more sales, so it raises the price. You see what I'm saying? Government put an incentive out there to drive people to an electric vehicle. The electric vehicle folks saw that. It's not lowering your price any because they raised the price. They figure they're going to have more buyers because they're all looking for a tax credit. So what do they do? Tesla raised the price. The change came after lobbying by automakers that impressed the Biden administration to change vehicle definitions to allow higher price vehicles to qualify. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk met with top aides to President Joe Biden last week. This article is brand spanking new, by the way. It came out this weekend. There you are. There's a number. Numbers don't lie. When the government gets into the business of subsidizing the private sector, the private sector will do what it can to make money. And guess who loses? The taxpayer. There you go. Here's one for you. This this just makes me mad. Fox News, story dated February 5th. That would be yesterday. Arizona hospital on the brink of collapse after spending $20 million on migrant care and says nobody has a solution. So here's the thing. The border is overwhelmed. Systems are overwhelmed right now with an influx of over 200 to 250,000 people per month coming in. It says migrant patients are overwhelming a border town's sole hospital, straining medical resources, placing the facility on the brink of collapse without sufficient funding to accommodate the influx of people. Dr. Robert Tranchell is the president and CEO of Yuma, Arizona's Yuma Medical Center and told uh, the folks on Fox and Friends Weekend, he said, it's been a long journey. We've been at this well over a year now. We tracked our uncompensated care for a period of over six months, and we calculate we provided over $20 million in uncompensated care to migrants crossing the border. He said, we don't have a payer source. Everybody's sympathetic. Everybody lends a listening ear, but nobody has a solution. We provided $20 million in care to the migrants crossing the border, and we don't have a payer source. It's not a sustainable model to have these continued rising expenses without a revenue. And he added that the $20 million care doesn't even encompass the infrastructure they had to build out to help sustain the workload that they had. I'm just telling you, that's a number that doesn't lie. It's a number that ought to get your attention. It's a number that's not sustainable. This is what happens when you have the only hospital in that part of Arizona saying they've, they've, just, they've given away like $20 million in free medical care. Well, guess what? Somebody has to pay those people who are providing the medical care. And there's nobody providing a solution for the Biden administration at all right now. All right, I got a couple more on this track right here. Numbers don't lie. Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. Coming back, top of the hour. You want to stay tuned. We're going to have a caller, a friend of mine named Cliff Sims, who worked personally for Donald Trump. 
and then later on worked personally for the Director of National Intelligence. We're going to get his perspective on what's going on with this balloon story. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Hey, uh, text lines are still going, 833-687-4448. You want to text in, we'll take it. That's 833-687-4448, which is otherwise known as 833-68-RIGHT. That's our number. Um, Brian from Huntsville just texted in, says, Wind Farm. Just keep feeding President Biden and you have one. <laughs> not a stable one, though. Uh, Lee from Huntsville. Uh, I'm not sure. Is that the same Lee from Huntsville that's called in or another Lee from Huntsville? I don't know. Um, but it says uh, there should be an account. It's talking about the funds that were returned to the FDX by, by politicians. There should be an account set up for all of these funds to be returned to help reimburse people who have lost money in the scam. I don't accept the whole donated to charity. I need to know what charity and if she has a relative that benefits from the charity. Woo! There's a... There's a cynical view right there, but um, but oh, that's not a bad point, though. If you're going to give the money back, here's the pot it can go in. Um, then who manages the pot? You know, and who's getting paid to manage the pot? That's just, uh, anyway. Uh, Jeff from Indiana says, with regards to that, he says, Phil, uh, he bought off all the politicians. No one was looking into him, and you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. That's exactly what happened. Everybody's like, wow, cool, campaign funds? I need those. And the next thing you know, wait, he's what? Under indictment? What? Um, what do we do with the money? I don't know. Don't don't make eye contact. So we'll see whether the state Democratic Party or either our or any of our two congressmen uh, who apparently got money from him uh, have anything to say. Uh, okay. Hey, listen, last couple stories I've got here on the numbers don't lie. And then top of the hour, uh, Cliff Sims is going to be on the line with us. Uh, Cliff Sims, by the way, was a, um, a, a direct aide to President Trump working in the White House. He also then went from there uh, to be the uh, deputy director of national intelligence for uh, DNI, uh, John Ratcliffe. I figure with the balloon thing going on, he's got to have a perspective. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk with him and see what he's got right after the top of the hour. In the meantime, let me finish out this numbers don't lie piece. So here's one for you. I've said... I've, I've said before here of late, and I can't remember the context in which I said it, I think it may have been education, that the only place in the world where you can consistently fail and then get refunded to do it again is government. It just, it's unreal. But it happens on a regular basis. You can do a sorry job. You can have an inspector general's report that says you're a sorry department. You can have a school that is failing. You can have employees that don't even deserve to work there anymore. And by the way, this is not all of them across the board. I'm just saying you can have that. And guess what? You can still submit your budget request for the next year and maybe even get plussed up like the TSA. 
Just the News magazine has a story that came out uh, two days ago over the weekend. TSA gets almost $500 million for pay raises and new hires despite a scathing watchdog review. Oh, my gosh. So Just the News apparently has an award they call the Golden Horseshoe, uh, where they highlight egregious, you know, wasteful taxpayer spending um, or taxpayer spending by the government. Thank you. Um, the award is named for the, you know, the horseshoe-shaped toilet seats that military airplanes had back in the Pentagon. cost a whopping $640 each back in the 80s, which was still, I'd look at that and go, wow. Well, the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, it reports, is receiving $400 million to use for employee pay raises, $61 million more to hire employees, and expanded collective bargaining rights, which could lead to future pay increases. Never mind the fact that they do, you know, questionable work, according to one watchdog. It says TSA will receive the $400 million as part of the 4,000-plus page $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package that passed with the aid of 18 Republicans in the Senate, signed into law last December. These raises, these raises are not the result of service improvements, wrote Adam Andrzejewski, CEO of the federal spending watchdog site uh, called openbooks.com. On the contrary, it says a recent report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office has noted problems with discrimination in the screening process and issues with notifying passengers of the complaint process. In other words, what they're saying is, listen, we're $31 trillion in debt. You just passed a massive $1.7 trillion slush fund, and you're doing things like plussing up departments that have questionable track records. And here's the other thing. We're still post-COVID. We're still in the aftermath of the crushing effects of government shutdowns on the private sector. Did anybody in government miss a paycheck? Anybody? Anybody at all? Did anybody miss a paycheck in government, state or federal or local? Anybody? No. And so it's a bit galling when you see $400 million being go, going to give them all raises. But it's hard out there. It's hard. Okay, but I don't think they missed any paychecks, whereas private sector was shutting down, man. Listen, last one I've got, a number, a number that I find fascinating and yet uh, beguiling all at the same time. If you're among the estimated 55 million Americans who use the prescription discount app called GoodRx, have you ever wondered how the app's developer makes money? This is a story off a of red state. came out over the weekend. The headline is, FTC now charges prescription discount app GoodRx with selling personal health data to Facebook and Google. 55 million Americans pay $10 a month for a subscription to an app, which is supposed to show them where deeper discounts are on prescriptions. Maybe it does. Is it just a, the article says, just a Good Samaritan app? Nope, not even close, nor should it be. But it does seem that fair and full disclosure should be provided when they sell your data. Huh. Somewhere in there, I guarantee you, you just clicked yes on their terms and conditions. And it said they have a right to promote your data. And, and, and I look at that and go, okay, why is this all right? But as reported by the New York Times, the Federal Trade Commission on Wednesday accused the developer of GoodRx Holdings of sharing sensitive personal health data on millions of users' medications and illnesses with social media companies like Facebook and Google without authorization. They're selling it. They're making money by selling your name. A lot of money by selling your name. 55 million American names. 
All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We're switching gears. We're talking about the balloon when we get back. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, yes, we are solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, I was going to number three of the Triple Dipper right now. Uh, we call this segment of the show today National Insecurity. Uh, so National Insecurity, the whole Chinese balloon fiasco uh, has, has really brought out some additional conversation about the level of decision-making competence that we're seeing out of the, the, the Biden White House. We're looking at things like, you know, how much, how much further China will go in terms of probing or pushing or poking. Uh, and, you know, we see all this happening just right before the State of the Union, right when we were going to see uh, Blinken travel to China, right as we just signed a new agreement uh, with the uh, Philippines to base U.S. forces and military assets there. Um, and then, of course, you know, Congress is about to start investigating COVID origins. Yeah. And then the balloon comes over. And it's been a, it's been a whole thing, y'all. Uh, and, you know, we talked about it on the show. But I want to bring somebody on now uh, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for a number of years, uh, Cliff Sims. Uh, he's an Alabama guy. But Cliff Sims served as Deputy Director of National Intelligence, helping to oversee 18 agencies of the U.S. intel community. He also served as Special Assistant to President Trump. Uh, and was the director of White House Message Strategy during his time in the White House. Uh, He actually wrote a book about his time. Uh, The book's called Team of Vipers. Uh, It became an instant New York Times bestseller. Uh, And then he went on to lead the messaging and speechwriting team for the 2020 Republican National Convention. Um, So he's also, by the way, the way I got to know him at first was he was the founder of what we know as Yellowhammer News here in Alabama. And he's currently the CEO of a company called Telegraph Creative that does a full-service creative uh, uh, business based in Birmingham, Alabama, clients from multinational corporations down to small businesses. All of that to say, hey, Cliff Sims, how you doing, man? Phil, I'm doing great. You'll, you'll always be Senator Williams to me, but uh, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be on with you today. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and, and listen, thanks for making some time. And, and, and Cliff, before we even get into the meat of our discussion here, I got to say, one of the best stories I ever heard somebody give in a speech was you talking about being on Air Force One and calling your grandfather to tell him you were on Air Force One. <laughs> yeah, no, that was awesome, man. The, uh, when we get on there, you find out they've got this amazing communications package because obviously you got to be able to be in touch with 
you know, whomever on the ground while you're up there. And when I realized you had a, a phone at, at every single seat, uh, I picked it up and, and dialed my granddad, uh, who's, you know, about to turn 96. And uh, that is definitely a moment that I will, will never forget because the operator says, uh, uh, Mr. Breland, we have Air Force One for you. And I could just hear the kind of how befuddled he was. <laughs> you know, who's going to say no when Air Force One uh, calls? Or is this a prank call or what's going on? But, yeah, that was a, a really cool mo- uh, moment. Well, that, that is a good moment. That's, 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 that's one for the books. But, um, well, listen, man, uh, so you, you've had some, uh, some unique opportunities over the last uh, six, seven, eight years um, to serve in uh, positions of power and where you can see things firsthand. Let me ask you this. I want to ask you before we even get into the balloon itself. You know, we're hearing a lot of talk about whether a balloon came over during the Trump years and what Trump would have done. And the decision-making processes that we're seeing out of the Biden administration appear to be almost tepid to me. What was it like watching Trump make decisions? Was he quick with the decision? Did he did he weigh other people's comments? What, what was it like? Yeah, well, I think that, that one of the things that may surprise people from my experiences, especially when it was issues of life and death, you know, issues dealing with the military or covert action or intelligence or things like that, he was extremely deliberative in his process and wanted to get a really well-rounded view of you know, all the different angles. What are the implications? What are my options? Uh, you know, the military is really good about bringing a menu of options in when there's a certain crisis situation and what, are, you know, what could we do here? I found him to be really deliberative about that, and and frankly, his instincts in general uh, are are much more non-interventionist than I think people would maybe guess based on his personality. Um, you know, really takes the decision to use military force you know, extremely seriously and very reticent to do it unless he believes it's the right thing to do. Um, and then in those moments, he's very decisive. I mean, I was there when we chose to uh, launch an airstrike. Uh, in Syria because uh, it was found that they had used gas uh, on their own people there. And so he struck that airport, 51 Tomahawk missiles. All of them hit their, their targets. So I was there for that decision. He was very decisive. I was also there with him when he found out for the first time that an American service member under his watch had been killed in action and, and saw the way that that impacted him on just a very deep uh, human level. And I think it's one of those decisions that or experiences that unless you're the president and understand the weight of that, it's just difficult to, you know, you maybe can intellectually understand that, but to see the weight of those kind of decisions on the president was really, uh, really something to experience for sure. Well, that's, 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 that's such great personal insight. And, uh, and yeah, you were definitely there for some principles of key decision-making. Let, let me ask you this, the, the, the Biden administration right now, we're watching this situation with the Chinese you know, spy balloon, and it's it's acknowledged. The Chinese say it's ours. The the Pentagon says it was maneuverable. The Pentagon also says it did have a payload of some type on it. We don't know for what, and that it floated over the United States for several days before the Biden administration acknowledged it, um, and then they let it float again further for several more days until it got off the East Coast. Basically, it flew across the entire United States. In, in your opinion, having worked there, do you think that Trump would have let that thing linger or would he taken quick action? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, no chance. And I've seen some reporting out there about that, you know, several of these uh, happened during the Trump administration, albeit uh, they claim to have not found out about them until after 
we had left, and they also said that they were of a much shorter duration. So you don't really know what that's all, but I can say definitively, um, you know, working in, in, in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, that nothing like this uh, happened while we were there, nor would we have allowed it to, to happen. Uh, here, here's what we know for certain. This thing flew over uh, ICBM facilities. It flew over the head of U.S. Strategic Command. It flew over Whitman Air Force Base, the home of the B-2 bomber. It flew over the Y-12 National Security Complex at Oak Ridge, which was built during the Manhattan Project. Uh, it flew near our ports in South Carolina that would be our distribution network for supplying a conflict near Taiwan were that to break out. So even without knowing what the payload was of this balloon, uh, the possibility that it was for uh, reconnaissance and surveillance, uh, we basically just allowed them to look at some of the most sensitive locations here in the U.S. homeland. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I, I feel like this fits a pattern of behavior from the Biden administration. They have not secured the southern border, uh, and now they're not securing our airspace. And so under no circumstances would something like this have been allowed to happen during the Trump administration. They should have shot this thing down uh, over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska when they first started you know, tracking this thing coming into U.S. airspace. Um, you, know, you can see now that because of all the open source data that exists out there, you can see all the flight patterns of the U.S. military and the Canadian uh, military when the thing was over Canada. Uh, there were plenty of opportunities where it was in remote locations where, you know, their excuse that they didn't want any of the debris to fall down and hit anybody on the ground would not have been nearly as much uh, of an issue as it would have been over some of the population centers that they allowed it to go over. There's really no excuse for this. And, and my only real explanation for what they might have been thinking was simply that, hey, this thing's going to be up there 40, 50, 60,000 plus feet. It's above commercial airline traffic. Even if somebody sees it, it's going to kind of be like, hey, what's that thing up there? Oh, my gosh, it's another UFO sighting or whatever kind of thing. And they would have basically let this thing float across the United States, and, and no one would have been the wiser for it. No one would have even known that it existed. I think that was what they were hoping would happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, the thing came down low enough where it could actually be uh, spotted by the naked eye, even uh, on the ground, and that's where we find ourselves in the position that we are now. Well, and I, and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, there are some there are some indications right now that what we're seeing is is a um, a, a situation where it, it would not have been known to the general public had it not been reported by local media in uh, in Montana, because that's where the story broke was on local media. Um, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly hey, right. Hey, let, let me ask you this too. I mean, kind of going back to that discussion we had a moment ago about. Trump's decision-making style. Uh, it, it, part of my speculation uh, is that this was as much a probe, not on what the payload was gathering, but as much a probe about how the Biden administration will react to a provocation. Um, uh, giving an opportunity here to say, hey, we're China and we'll fly over your stuff if we feel like it and then see what they say. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's exactly right, uh, Phil. And, you know, the foundation of any national defense strategy is credible deterrence. And this was the importance during the Trump administration of, for instance, when the president launched the, uh, the strike to kill uh, Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. And everyone freaked out and said, oh, my gosh, you're going to start World War III. And actually what happened is the Iranians had to say, okay, 
there are real consequences now. We can't be out there killing Americans, undermining America's interests, screwing around in Iraq and other places in the Middle East and Syria and all over the place. There are going to be real consequences for this. And so if you are Xi Jinping in China right now, you, you have seen a series of debacles. You have seen uh, the Biden administration's uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. You have seen uh, what is going on in Ukraine right now. Uh, and, and you see the focus that, and attention that that has sucked up and is taking uh, not just attention, but some of the uh, military assets that we would need to use to defend a Taiwan and deploy them elsewhere where, uh, in the world. And now you're seeing that you can even send a reconnaissance balloon uh, across the entire continental United States and they will not do anything about it. And if you are Xi Jinping thinking about, uh, or you've made it very clear, that taking Taiwan is a legacy goal for you. I mean, this is a huge deal, important thing for you. And you're facing the prospect of Biden potentially being out of office in two years. This window of time between now and then uh, could start looking like a pretty good window of time to make a move on Taiwan. And if that is ha if that's happened, the implications of that are just it's enormous, enormous. And so I think that you are exactly right. Um, you know, they have a history of provocations ahead of diplomatic meetings. So Secretary of State Blinken was supposed to be headed over there uh, over the weekend. That trip was was delayed. And so, uh, you know, they have seen the Biden administration time and time again uh, not meeting the moment when uh, a difficult uh, uh, provocation gets put in front of them. Well, and, you know, and the other interesting uh, piece of the uh, overall schedule here is that uh, it's just days prior to the State of the Union address, which where, where Biden has to stand up and try to paint the rosy picture and say why his, his administration is doing everything right and all the things it's going to do in the year to come. And, and, and literally right now he is he is having to follow one of the most embarrassing uh, world stage debacles that he's had since the pullout of Afghanistan as he takes the podium to give the speech tomorrow night. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is a big communications challenge. You know, the first time that I was uh, was there in the administration and serving in the White House, I was doing messaging and communications, including uh, for two uh, joint addresses to Congress, State of the Union uh, addresses. And this is an opportunity for any administration to dominate a news cycle and try to set the narrative that they're trying to set. And, of course, Biden has got a, a very complicit media apparatus there in, in Washington, D.C., that would love to help him do that. And so I know the planning that goes into this is just it's just enormous and so to have something like this happen you know just days before it's going to hijack the whole narrative uh it's going to make it very difficult for the Biden administration to control the narrative that they want uh, that they the way that they want to and so um you know i would expect they're going to have to say something about this and domestic politics here are demanding a hard line on china um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how he, he handles that, how he couches his decision making, because we really still haven't gotten to the bottom of uh, an explanation of why on earth, other than you didn't want debris to hit people on the ground, did you let this thing yeah. traverse the entire continental United States? We have not yet gotten that from, from Biden. So we'll see if he can stay awake through his own State of the Union uh, address tomorrow night. It'll be interesting to see. Well, Cliff Sims, with about a minute or so left to go, let me put you on the spot. Um, if you were the messenger for the Republicans and the Biden administration, either one, 
What is your what is your top message point in the aftermath of this shoot down of a balloon? What are you saying? That's the message. Stick with it. This is what you've got to say to control the narrative. What would you have each side say in about a minute to go? Yeah, if, if I am uh, the Trump folks or if I'm Republicans in general, I'm talking about weakness. I'm talking about weakness at the border. I'm talking about weakness on crime in our cities across this country. I'm talking about economic weakness. I'm talking about weakness that has allowed inflation to run rampant and um, families across this country to not be able to make ends meet. And I'm talking about weakness on the world stage. And one thing I learned from Trump is that the messages that, Im- that are the most impactful are ones that reinforce the, a notion that is already inside somebody's head. The way Trump could put a nickname on somebody that would actually reinforce an impression that somebody already had, even if it was subconscious. And when you think about Biden right now, weakness is the one that resonates the most, and that's the one I would press the hardest. All right, brother. Well, listen, I ran long to keep you going, but uh, I sure appreciate your time. Uh, Cliff Sims, former deputy director of national intelligence and also a uh, chief advisor, a special assistant to the president, uh, Trump. We appreciate you, man. You have a great day. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. See you. Boomer, I ran long on purpose. I'm going to have like no time when we get back. Take it to the break, brother. We appreciate it. Folks, that was a great call. That's the kind of stuff you can get on Right Side Radio. We'll have more discussion on this when we get back. I'm pretty sure some of y'all want to call in and talk about the balloon debacle. Give me your thoughts. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. What have I got, Boomer? Like 30 seconds? I mean, I, I literally kept that, that conversation yeah, going. Yeah, we, we have about, uh, okay, <laughs> so I, I got it to where we have 59 seconds. <laughs> whoop, whoop. So, okay. um, but no, I'll tell you what, though, that interview was, that was spot on. That was exactly what I expected from Cliff Sims. And, and folks, that's the kind of stuff you're going to get on Right Side Radio. I mean, that's the former Trump communications advisor, the head of White House, me- White House messaging strategy, and then later the deputy director of national intelligence uh, on and talking about his perceptions of the China balloon fiasco. And, um, and so we're going we're gonna to continue to aim to try and get you the best quality interviews and people and guests and callers. And, and then at the same time, we got all of y'all. And we got, we got stuff that comes out of this audience sometimes that just blows my socks off, and I feel like some of y'all should host this show. But um, but yeah, Boomer, that was a good. And you guys, oh, that was the- that was incredible. And we have we have already three or four callers holding on. Maybe maybe five. I, I, I still got to <laughs> answer these phones. And then the text thread is blowing up. I mean, what an incredible interview and incredible you know incredible man. What, you yeah, know, so it's, yeah. Cliff, Cliff, thank you, Cliff. That Cliff's, was awesome. Cliff's a good dude. Um, I got uh, Chris from Gadsden texted in says the Chinese weather balloon should be the name of a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a punk band we call ourselves punk chinese weather band. balloon um uh, and then uh what do we got here bill from huntsville uh, here comes a german spy balloon in the shape of a giant beer st- beer uh beer stein uh, okay what a great audience uh danny from decatur as an air force veteran i was embarrassed to watch the press conference where the air force general read the dod statement it seemed like oh well anyway i agree i totally agree 
All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. back phil williams right side radio covering all of north alabama i'm talking about this show goes way down south of birmingham up north of huntsville tuscaloosa back to gas parts of georgia tennessee mississippi all thrown in just for good measure hey before i go to the phones real quick and i got some folks that are holding so i want to get to them but i got to tell you zla solutions has been sponsoring this show since the moment we started over a year and a half ago and zla solutions is doing an epic good job at getting people and jobs lined up so if you are an employer looking to fill out the ranks of your workforce, just listen. They can help you with a lot of stuff, warehousing, logistics, you know, other kinds of business solutions. But staffing is their gig, man. That's their bread and butter. And ZLA Solutions is doing crazy good work right now at getting those two things lined up, people and jobs. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing if necessary. Blue collar, white collar, no collar, don't matter. ZLA Solutions. Here's their website. Go find it. It's ZLAUSA. Dot com. I'm, I'm telling you, they've had the best year they've ever had. ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And then do me the favor of telling them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. All right, let me jump on the phones because i got four callers holding on and probably more coming in. Uh, line one, Alan from Hartzell. Alan, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, Phil. Finally, finally. <laughs> These balloons, this balloon that came across, yeah. people thought I was crazy when I said, this started back in the 40s with Japan. Oh, yeah. With firebombs. Yeah, it did. And nobody said, oh, no, it didn't happen, didn't happen. Well, now, Phil, I've got another little footnote. All these coal-fired plants that China's supposed to be building, when they spent 100 or purchased 100 million tons of coal from Russia, and all these, oh, no, it's, it's not well, that smog don't come back. The Pacific winds, are, they're finally seeing it. The Pacific winds that I've been saying for years has happened. All of that stuff is coming right around there. So all these global warming people that keep saying, "Oh, no, it don't get it, it, it just affects us. We're the ones that's doing it. It's not happening. We're not doing it." Right. So, now, why in the world? Maybe one of these days, people are going to stop and look and do a little reading besides listening to some of this liberal crap all the time, <laughs> and they'll understand what's going on. Well, if they get on the right side radio and listen to Alan call in, they'd know, wouldn't they? Well, I've been trying that for years, and people say, oh, man, that didn't happen back in the 40s. They wasn't smart enough. <laughs> well, well no. they were still finding those un unexploded balloons You're right. in, in, in 2014 in Canada. Killed a whole family in fire. Oregon. Yeah. But, uh, they found them. The reason that that whole idea was if you set enough fires in the West Coast and in Western Canada, it would draw people away from the military service. In during World War Two, yeah. yeah. Oh no, that didn't happen. Well, now now people are finally seeing it happens. Alan, 
Hey, Alan, thanks for the call, man. I got four other people hanging on the line. Let me grab them, too. I appreciate you, man. You have a great day. I'll go to line two, somebody who just calls himself the truth, apparently. Truth from Huntsville. What you doing, man? Bill, man, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I done been telling people this. You want to know why them that old stinking Chinese balloon was flying over America? Because the Chinese own all of our American politicians. Let me Let me hit you with a little bit of truth, all right? If we were to go to war... With China today, where do you think Nancy Pelosi would run to? Where do you think Joe Biden would run to? Where do you think Mitch McConnell would run to? The reason they let this happen is because they're so controlled by the Chinese that that's what the Chinese told them was going to happen. And if you want to listen to the Chinese and, and the idiots that we got that believe that this thing was a civilian anything in China. China ain't got nothing controlled by the civilian sector. You know that as well as I do. So so you're let me, so, let me make sure I'm clear here, uh truth man. So you're 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 saying that you believe that Nancy Pelosi would have abdicated or would have defected to China if things had gotten bad. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm I'm saying if we ever go to war with China and that old bat's still alive, she will defect to China. <laughs> she probably has a house there. And if you really want to think about it, because I mean, you look at look at the money. Why do, why do we why why, is, why do we cover so much stuff that, and let China do stuff we would let no other country do? We're not scared of them. We got a we got an intercontinental ballistic missile, which should probably rename Egg Roll, just so we can send it over there and drop it on them. Oh, all right, True. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate you hanging on. I got three others. I got to get to. Uh, you have a good day, bud. Uh, line three, Barry from Huntsville. Barry, what do you got? Hey, uh, just a little bit of uh, history here. You know, Biden ordered the shoot down last Wednesday, and they did that after he uh, was told what the Chinese writing on that balloon was. <laughs> what was that? Did you hear that? What did you hear? It said, well, it, when you translate it into English, it says, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, though, Phil, I have no idea why our military was unwilling to shoot the balloon down over Montana where they might have got a buffalo or something when the thing came down. But why in the God's name use an AIM-9 on it when it when that F-22 has a beautiful Vulcan cannon on it yeah. that could have perforated the hell out of that balloon and let it kind of have a gentle fall down to earth and we would be able to recover everything. I uh, totally I agree. I mean, I cannot help but wonder myself, Barry. Hey, listen, man, great call. Well, Thank you so much. I, I, I got to run to the next line, Barry. You have a great one. Let me go to Jerry from Decatur. Jerry, how you doing? Hey, doing fine, Phil. How you doing? Jerry? I'm good, sir. I'm good. What's on your mind? Great interview, great interview, Mr. Sims. I was, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, Biden and uh, and all this that's related to his strength and uh, and he, and how weak he is. It's always been portrayed as weakness. Weakness, and uh, I remember during a, I think I saw it in the news, or maybe even saw uh, the speech that he was making. He made a comment about the Chinese. He said. They're not bad people, folks. Yeah. I like to. I come out of my recliner. I said, "You stupid idiot! They're communist. They ain't bad. They they are not good people. They are not somebody you want to deal with. And you got to show strength to them and and stand tall toward them. Stand up to them. 
You know, and, and, and their uh, their culture only recognizes strength too. Their culture does not recognize passivity. It doesn't. It, it sees that as it sees that as pure weakness. It does not see that as absolutely. an accommodation. It sees that as weakness. Yes, sir. And uh, you know, and I, I, I kind of Lucy quite quite. I, I kind of link him to organized crime. His family is involved in that, and there he shows favoritism toward the Chinese consistently. And uh, he doesn't want no trouble with them, and he's in, and he's for sale. And uh, and I'm just appalled that the American people elected this guy to be the president of the United States. Well, I think uh, I think there's there's folks around the world that are starting to question. But uh, Jerry, I got one more caller I got to get to for the break, man. You have a great well, day. Thanks for the call. I hope he don't ever become a POW. Well, uh, my gosh. I hope they don't. Become, he'll sell out. Thanks, Jerry. And, Appreciate uh, you. So, yes, sir. Uh, line five. Is that Jeff Mindiana on line five? Jeff, how you doing, bud? <laughs> Going through Nashville at a slow pace. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're on the northbound. You're on the northbound side of the trip, though, right? Oh yeah, thank goodness. But uh, you know, we're going to have to accept the fact that Joe Biden is the Manchurian candidate. Oh, he's oh. really? I mean, he really is. He he was compromised before he ran for 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 president. And they have those receipts on him and everything. So basically, the Chinese are controlling. Can you imagine anybody who would, you know, let this balloon into airspace and then not shoot it down and let it complete its mission and then destroy the evidence, basically? No, in fact, that's that's been the boggling thing from my in my mind is 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 how they think that we can sit idly by and go, oh, it was okay, this was a good plan. There was no plan, and if there was a plan at all, it was to make it more difficult to recover. And if there was a plan at all, it was to just try and pretend it's not happening for a period of time. It's been it's been nuts. I mean, NORAD should have known when this thing even left the ground. I mean, you know, been tracking it and everything. I mean, come on, they they track Santa Claus, so they can track a balloon, you know. <laughs> So, well, you know, that's, so, uh, a, that's a question, though, Jeff, that I've, I have been sort of asking in my own mind. I don't have an expert to turn to on this. I'm wondering, though, if this was something that was designed to test our, our early warning systems because a slow-moving, high-flying, almost inanimate object puts out a different signature, would it have slipped through without being seen? And I, I'd like somebody to tell me whether this was visible or if it had to be seen by the naked eye first and then confirmed. Well, uh, satellites, I mean, this thing is not little. I mean, satellites no. alone would have picked this thing up, you know. Didn't have to have radar to pick it up. No, I but mean, this but, thing's huge. But what kind of signature <laughs> does it put out on our early warning systems? I mean, does it is it the same as the heat signature off of a missile or of a, of a jet, or did it fly the same way? It doesn't have a transponder on it, I guess. So I'm wondering if maybe it was virtually invisible and just appeared like a cloud. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, it might have and everything, but, I mean, if it's – on a cloudless day, it was visible to the naked eye with the sun beating down on it. Just like like everybody said, it looked like a little moon sitting up there. So, yeah. you know, it, it was pretty obvious, you know, to the naked eye, uh, yeah. what was going on there. You know, you, something was up there, and all you had to do is have a telescope to find out what it was. Well, and that's what that's what uh, broke the story was local news finding out, and then they had to wind up shutting down. Uh, air traffic in and around Billings, Montana, I think it was. And next thing you know, local news would break a story about this thing flying over. And that's when the story got real. Right now, if you're in Taiwan, you got to be sweating bullets. Because, mm. I mean, they just watched the American president let a Chinese balloon float over the length of the United States. And then they destroyed the evidence. Do you think they're going to go to war against China or even help out? I mean, Joe Biden is... There's no doubt in my mind that Joe Biden's compromised. I mean, they got the receipts. 
uh, they've given millions and millions of dollars and everything. They don't give that much money out and not have a, you know a little bit of payback to 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 look forward to. And, and I guarantee, you know, with all all the Chinese infiltration in in Washington, it's hard to tell them how many. Like the other guy said, it's going to tell how many people's on the hook on this thing. Well, uh, time will tell, but all I know is 2024 is coming, and I can't wait for the election cycle. Jeff, got to go, brother. Got to, got to. You, you be safe on the road, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, Phil. You too, bud. Oh wow! I mean, the callers have just grabbed hold of this one, and I'll tell you one. I got, I got, a, I got several texts before I even uh, head out. Uh, I mean, we, we've got uh, Mark from Owens Crossroads, for instance, says, uh, "Unlike corn pop, China's real." Um, <laughs> All right, Boomer, take us to a break, man. We'll do that. We'll come right back and wrap up for the day. What a great show. What a full show. This is, this is, did I even, I didn't even really finish this dipper. It just kind of took over on its own, man. It did. I didn't do dipper number two either, did I? <laughs> you did dipper number two, just, I just did. A the numbers, that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. I'll figure myself out. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is go-home time on a beautiful day. Boomer, it's like we have more daylight. Have you noticed that? Yes, I'm have loving it. Have the days it. gotten longer? I think so. I just... I, I like it. I just looked outside and realized it's not dark. It's not dark. I may be able to go home <laughs> and sit on the back deck with Charlene for a few minutes. For oh. Uh, see, the weather's perfect, I'm just saying. And it feels so good outside. Uh, anyway, hey, listen, it is go-home right? and, and, and tomorrow morning. It's going to be coming back in time, all right? So you're coming back in. Some of y'all are like the biscuit drive through people. Or maybe you get your senior coffee or something at the local drive through and, and Let me just suggest something to you. There's a time and a place for that. There's also a time and a place to give yourself a little bit of something extra. And I'm going to say Just Love Coffee Cafe is maybe where you want to start. So tomorrow morning on your way into work, let me just, let me just opine for a moment that one of the best things you could do for breakfast on the go is to pull into Just Love Coffee Cafe and take yourself an extra minute. Get yourself a womlet. That's a big old giant omelet with everything in the world in it, including tater tots. And it's cooked in a waffle iron, hence the womlet. You've got uh, any number of different kinds of waffles, including the berry, berry, berry waffles. I love those. And then they've got uh, eggs. They've got biscuits. They've got fruit. they got all the stuff, man. On top of that, it's Just Love Coffee Cafe. So the coffee you will not get anywhere else, the award-winning dry roast that can grind the beans fresh, make you light, medium, or dark roast coffee, or what Charlene calls the treat coffees, the cappuccinos, the espressos, the lattes. If you're one of those remote workers, you can even stay there for a while if you want to. They've got tables and desks set up where you can actually work, eat, use their Wi-Fi, hang out. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road out in Madison going towards City Hall, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. So that's it. Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville. Tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. I would appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Uh, listen, we got uh, we got just totally just 
the, the whole I got I got a stack we, of stuff I can't even touch. Oh yeah, the, you don't have time. No, but, there's no way. I mean, everybody wanted to call in and talk about it or text in about this balloon, and then we, Cliff was awesome. You I know, mean, you know why though? You know why this topic is? I mean, because people it, care. People care about it. Absolutely. I don't want a balloon flying over my house from China. No, I mean for the, for the love. I mean, this is this is one of those things where even if it's a benign thing, who does this? That, that's one of the points that I think is, is not being fully developed here. Who does oh. it? Who sends over a large 200-foot-tall balloon right. that, by the way, is carrying some type of electronic payload and doesn't call ahead and say, don't worry, fellas, here's what it is? Yeah, and didn't they, den- they didn't deny, but they said, oh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's Nothing okay. Nothing to see here. This is Nothing a, to see here. It's a civilian balloon. Why do you care? Uh, because uh, you're flying it over our territory, exactly. you jack wagons. Ah. So, so there's that. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, by the way, did a horrible job. Story just uh, came up on Fox <laughs> News in the last, oh, Shocker. about the last 15 minutes. <laughs> the last 15 minutes. Headline, Fox News, White House Press Secretary fumbles the question on another Chinese surveillance flight during the Biden administration. So she was flat out asked, have there been others during the Biden administration? At which point her answer was, where'd it go? Um, she did not answer the question directly, saying, Chinese surveillance balloons have been around for some time. We even briefed Congress on this past August. What? So we don't have anything more to share. That's your, that's your answer? Wow. Uh, well, Chinese balloons have been around for a long time. and um, so Will he bring up this subject tomorrow night? How does he not? Right. You but, know, I mean, it is, I mean, it is Biden. I, don't, I mean, I'm just saying, would, will he or will the people that's writing his speech bring it up? His advisors have got to be telling him that he's in the midst of political suicide if he doesn't. Because if he ignores it and pretends it didn't happen, there's going to be outrage and people in his own party are going to be disappointed. Mm. Uh, because they, what they want to hear is a strong response. If there's an opportunity to, re, to save face in the eyes of the world, it's going to come tomorrow night. Because what's done is done. He can't go undo it. Now he has to put a spin on it. If he chooses not to put a spin on it, that alone is a spin. Mm. Um, so he, he's, he's got to get a message together and he's got to get it out there. Republicans, in the meanwhile, are going to be talking, and I agree with Cliff Sims. I mean, the message is going to be weakness, weakness at the border, weakness in the economy, weakness in the ability to make decisions, weakness in Afghanistan, weakness with balloons, uh, spy balloons. And then, so what do you do? You have to counter message. But here's, here's the thing, though, Boom. When, when there's an old saying is that when you're responding to what the other guy says, in essence, you're dancing to his tune. And mm. so Biden has no choice now. It's, it's too much. He's going to have to respond. And even that, though, is rough because at that point, he's dancing to the other guy's tune. Wow. Um, yeah. He, he's boxed himself in. By not making a decision when he could have, he's boxed himself in. And, and you know, to me, I, I've said it before, it's a clear indication that he has never led anything in his whole life. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's been in office for 40 years, but he had the luxury of what I have often called on this show rhetoric without responsibility. He, as a senator, he had 40 years of being able to make a speech and walk away from the microphone and not own it. Hands off after that. That's right. I, I said my piece. I, I made a, I made a soundbite hmm. and then didn't have to own anything because he was a senator. Now he's the executive, and we're finding out very quickly how little leadership um, training he has ever had. Um, Charlene just texted in a minute ago and she said, she said, I agree with Jeff totally. He's compromised. Yeah. That's my lovely wife. She gets it. She gets it. She gets it.
Um, and so right. do a lot of the listeners. I mean, so that's, I mean <laughs> not just the I mean, everyone. That's why he's going to have to uh, say it, something. And we've got uh, Ronald from Rogerville just texted in and said that um, one source, and I'm not sure which one that is, he says CF is reporting a third balloon has likely been discovered. No locations yet. Um, and I've also heard, by the way, that another balloon uh, has been flying over South America. So who knows? Um, JT from Lacey Springs says if this had been a North Korean balloon, it would have never made it to the left coast without being taken down. By the way, another failed three-dipper day. <laughs> I got all three dippers. I got all three dippers. We just didn't talk about the notes on I just couldn't rattle dipper. my paper because I had callers and I had an interview. JT. It was a good day. JT. It was a I, good day. I take, I take umbrage. Umbrage with that one. All right, you guys. Well, I don't take umbrage with this show because it was a good one. And we'll be back here tomorrow at 2. You guys have an amazing night. I got an interview tomorrow that's scheduled that should come together and make for a good one. Y'all stay tuned. We'll see you then. Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.